Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, we continue in our study of the unlikely heroes this morning, and this morning is probably one of the most unlikely heroes in the Bible. I mean, if there was a list of the top 10, she certainly would qualify in the top 10. When you're reading the biblical account and her name shows up and her profession shows up, you might wonder what she's actually doing in the Bible. And that's the individual by the name of Rahab. And by the way, she is uniquely connected to the Christmas story, but you're going to have to wait till the end of the message to find that out, all right? So she actually fits nicely into this season with the Christmas trees and everything behind us. But this is the story of Rahab. And will you stand with me as we open the Word together and out of respect for the Word of God? And I'll begin reading in Joshua chapter 2, and I'll pick up the reading there at verse 9. Uh, she's speaking with the spies that she has been hiding, by the way. So that's where we're kind of picking this up. And Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I'm sorry, I just read that. Here's the next portion. For we have learned how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And said to her, our life for, your, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterwards, you may go your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household, down to verse 20. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You may be seated. I probably have to give you a little bit of background for you to understand what's actually going to happen in this story. You may remember uh, from your knowledge of the Bible that Abraham was given the land of Israel, but around the time shortly after Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob was born, God removed them from Israel down to the land of Egypt. And he said he was going to do that because he was concerned that the 70-some members of the family would be caught up in the way of the Canaanites, those who actually lived in the promised land. So they're down in Egypt for 400 years. Down in in Egypt for 400 years, they grow into a nation, some two and a half million people. And so now they return to the promised land. And you may remember that there was this time uh, right about the um, end of the book of Numbers where they are confronted with the opportunity to come into the land, but they're fearful. In spite of all that God has done, they're afraid. 
And so they say, we can't take the land. The people are too big. We're afraid. And when that happened, they stepped away out of their fear of man because they didn't fear the Lord sufficiently. They stepped away and God said, okay, 40 years you'll wander in the wilderness and a new generation will come in. When Joshua sends spies in, he doesn't send 12. He just sends two. He says, I know what happened last time I sent 12. I'm just going to send two. And so Joshua sends in two spies, and those spies are spying out the land, and they come to the city of Jericho. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that when it comes to the city of Jericho, uh, in the battle of Jericho, the walls did what? Fell down. That's exactly right. So that's what's ultimately going to happen. But while they're there, they engage, the, 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 the governor of the city wants to, wants to find them, execute them, right, and find out what they're going to do because they're afraid. And Rahab, the prostitute that lives in the wall, in the, in her home is in the wall because of the thickness of the wall, she actually hides them, saves them, and releases them, okay? So that's the story. So let me just talk, when it comes to changing your future, because her future changes drastically. When it comes to changing your future, we begin with the fear of the Lord, we build with faith in the Lord, and we believe in a future from the Lord. All of that's captured in Rahab's life. Now, notice at the beginning of it, here it is. Rahab says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. Now, just for a moment, understand this. This rumor of how these two and a half million people made it from Egypt to Israel had scattered throughout all the promised land. So so this rumor is moving around, and they are afraid of the people, but the people actually are afraid of them, the Israelites, and their God. It's like everybody's afraid of everybody, okay? But the Jewish people didn't know that they feared them like that. And look at the end of verse 11. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Even though they were pagans living in the Canaanite world, they, those individuals said, listen, the gods we worship, they're not at all like your God. And for just a moment, understand that in, in those kinds of times, those biblical times, that the city was the protection And no city was protected like Jericho with a double thick wall, with a wall that was large enough that you could actually drive chariots on the top of it. No city wall was as as protected as Jericho was. And yet, if a God can open up the Red Sea, you suddenly feel very insecure about where you're there behind the wall. And so even even those who were from Jericho were deeply fearful of, of the Israelites God. And that's important because we want to begin with the fear of the Lord. Let me just give a couple of contrasts here. We should fear God more than we fear failure. We should fear God more than we fear failure. Um, one of the reasons, if you just think about it for a moment, you probably haven't stepped out on faith, even though God may be laying on your heart to do something, is because, frankly, you might be afraid that you will fail at it. Um, I'm told that uh, public speaking is the number two fear in the world, second only to death, okay? Um, So if you're saying, um, yeah, that's why I don't like to speak in public, that's why even when you do that get to know people stuff, I kind of like to crawl under the pew, Pastor Phil, like, because that's not me, right? I just want to remind you that we fear things that we think we might fail at. And what we have to understand is that our fear of the Lord has to overpower that particular fear that we have in this case of failure. And I'll show you that in the Jewish people because the Israelites, back in Numbers chapter 14, when the land land we pass through, they say, through to spy out is exceedingly good land. They said, hey, listen, we're down here in Kadesh Barnea. We can see that it's great land. We'd go if we could. 
If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel. This is Joshua and Caleb speaking. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the 10 people said, like, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. They are really big. We're in a lot of trouble. We can't win. And they looked at places like the city of Jericho with its thick walls, and they said it's not possible. Here's a question for you. You and I need to stop and just pause and think more carefully about our fear of the Lord than we think of our fear of failure. Now, for just a moment, let me unpack that. Martin Luther struggled with what it meant to fear the Lord. The Scripture says over and over again to fear the Lord. And in the end, Luther said there's two kinds of fear. There's there's servile fear, fear, which is terror that you could really be hurt by something. And then there's what he called filial fear. That's a fear that you would have maybe of your father in a respectful or, or kind of step back awesome kind of way. There's two kinds of fear, and, and Luther, Martin Luther made the case that the first kind of fear is how the unbeliever starts to look at God when they're looking at him realistically because they know he's got control over them, and they suddenly recognize they're in, in, in for his judgment. The second kind of fear, the filial fear, is the kind of fear that says, listen, out of awe and respect, I, I love the, my God the Father out of awe and respect, but I don't fear him in the same way that I'm terrorized, okay? And if you know anything about Martin Luther's life, you know that he was often terrorized by the fact that he would have to meet a holy God, which is how he began to see in the book of Romans the idea of grace. Here's your second idea. We should fear God more than we fear what others may think of us. We should fear God more than we think, more than we fear what others may think of us. Proverbs 29, 25 captures it this way. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now, to understand that particular verse, you kind of have to understand trapping and how that works. Let me see. Who haven't I picked on in a while? Come on, Mark. You can come on up here real quick for me. I'll single out uh, our next steps director, Mark Gilmore, for this. Okay. And just let me show you how a snare works. Okay. A snare works on the concept that... Uh, a snare works in the concept that if there is tension on the snare, it traps the person, okay? That's very different than, you know, the humane traps we have today where we trap the raccoon and we pet him and speak kind words to him and release him in our neighbor's backyard, okay? Okay, so that, that's a different kind of trap. This kind of trap, a snare, literally was dependent upon the tension that the, that the creature that was trapped uh, would endure. Okay, so I'm going to lay my snare down there, okay? And just do, mind your own business and walk along real quickly here, Mark, okay? And Mark happens to get in, and oh, whoa, whoa, look at that. I've snared him, okay? Now, what I want you to see, yeah, just stay right there. You're snared, okay? Okay. What I want you to see is this snare only works because Mark fights it, okay? It only is effective because he's pulling against it. And because he pulls against it, he can't possibly release it. And here's the point. Turn around so everybody can see your frightened face. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is why it's effective. Because the individual trapped in the snare is afraid and pulling against. And yet the Bible says things like, um, like um, it reminds us in, in Psalm 46 that we should be still before the Lord. And Philippians chapter 4 says, listen, in the peace of God, that as we dwell upon the things of the Lord, in Philippians chapter 4, 8, it is God's peace for our heart and our mind that will protect us, which means the only way to really escape what we would call the fear of man is to trust in the Lord, quit fighting it, 
And then you discover that the people you were afraid of, they don't really have the power you thought they did. The problem is, is because it's your fear of them and what they think of you that's causing you to, to be ensnared. And I just want you to see that the Bible says very clearly here that you're free, so you can run. Okay, there you go. Okay. What I want you to see is that the fear of the Lord lays the snare. The, the fear of man lays the snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're wrestling with those kinds of issues, you may think it's about everybody else. It isn't about everybody else. It's about you not adequately trusting the Lord. Let's consider one final one. Here it is regarding fear. We should fear God more than we fear what we might lose. Okay? We should fear God more than we fear what we might lose. In Acts chapter 5, the story is told of Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody was selling their homes and giving away to those who were poor, and that was kind of the pattern. Ananias and Sapphira saw how everybody was respecting everybody else that did that, and they said, well, let's do that too. And, but they con- contrived together, this husband and wife, that they would sell their property for such and such, and then they'd keep some back. Now, God wasn't, the Bible doesn't necessarily reflect that God is opposed to them having kept something back. God was opposed to them acting like they gave everything when really they didn't. Okay. And so Ananias comes in and Peter says to Ananias, did you give everything? And did you sell the home for such and such? Yes. Did you give everything? Oh, yes. Bam, he drops dead. Because Ananias feared losing something, whether it was the respect of the people or whether it was just a little bit of the extra income he made off his home. His wife comes in, and they say, hey, Ananias was here. She's looking around for her husband. She doesn't realize he's already been carried out to the cemetery, right? And, uh, and, she said, and, and Peter says, hey, listen, your, your husband was here. Did you sell your house for such and such? Yes, we did. Um, and you gave it all? Yes, we did. Bam, she drops dead. Okay. And two things happen. They feared what they might lose, but suddenly the entire congregation there in Jerusalem is fearful because they suddenly realize that this God is, is a God who we can fear, and that's that cerebral kind of fear, and also we fear in an awesome kind of way. That's the filial kind of fear, and all they know is that they have the fear of the Lord. I love the way R.C. Sproul speaks about this and maybe addresses the needs of our world today. He says, the focus here in this kind of fear is on a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God that's often lacking in the contemporary Christianity We get very flippant and cavalier with God as if we had a casual relationship with the Father. We certainly are invited to call Him Abba, Father, and to have a personal intimacy promised to us, but still, we're not to be flippant with God. We're always to maintain a healthy respect and adoration for Him. We still should have an element of knowledge that God can be frightening. It is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10, 31. It is part of our motivation to be reconciled to God that we do not want to face God and think we can make excuses. Here's the second idea. We find this in uh, Rahab as well. We begin with the fear of the Lord. She said, our people fear the Lord. She responded to the fear of the Lord differently, though. She responded to it by faith, whereas these others in Jericho didn't respond by faith. They just were paralyzed by fear. We build with faith in the Lord. Let me give you a couple thoughts with that. We don't permit the seemingly impossible to erode our confidence that with God all things are possible. We don't permit the seemingly impossible to erode our confidence that with God, all things are possible. Rahab, in that opening in the wall, knows that God is coming. And, uh, well, let me back up. Have any of you ever experienced like an earthquake? How many, how many earthquake survivors do I have? A few of you, okay. Okay. 
So when Kim and I got married uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away, okay? When we got married, we moved to California, and uh, within probably, might have been about October, within a couple months of our arriving, we experienced our first earthquake. Okay. Now, we're outsiders, so we don't know what it's like. You know, I remember Kim saying, this is awesome, like God is shaking the world, and everybody else in her office is under a desk someplace, right? And, uh, and I'm at seminary, and I'm on the second floor floor of the building and my professor's sitting on the edge of the table and the ceiling tiles start to shift and dust starts to come down and I'm thinking, what is happening? And all of a sudden, all the Californians are crawling right under the desk. Right? And I remember thinking like, wow, like, that, like you definitely had a fear that something was going to happen and the building was going to come down. And I remember that we all kind of, once the initial shock hit, we all kind of left the building. We were on the second floor, and there's a dozen of us out in the parking lot. And the prof says, well, you want to continue Greek? You want to continue Greek class this morning? And we're all standing there and thinking about it. And all of a sudden, there's a tremor. And we all say, nope, nope, we're not going back in the building. Okay. So imagine what it's like when you are Rahab, and this is where you live. Now, you know something about the walls already. You know they come down. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And then you may remember, she gathered her family, her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, she gathered them in that house and probably bolted the door. And then, at some point, when those trumpets blow on the seventh march around, the walls, an earthquake starts to shake and the walls start to fall down, except they're in the wall. All the wall falls down, except where Rahab is. I just want you to understand this idea that we build with faith in the Lord, meaning this, that uh, we don't permit the seemingly impossible, that is an entire earthquake is going to happen and we're going to hide out where the earthquake is going to collapse the wall. The seemingly impossible to erode our confidence that with God all things are possible. If God told her to stay in the wall and she obeyed, she was safer in the wall than she was running out of the city. And that's precisely the point, isn't it? We know that. I know that. And yet, often, again and again, we see things that are seemingly impossible and we're fearful by, the impossible, by, by what seems impossible. How many of you have seen God work in your past in such a way that you'd say, I'm, I'm never going to doubt him again. I saw him do something in my life, okay? Great, keep your hands up. Put them up now, now, okay. How many of you doubted him again? Okay. Yep, that's right, okay? Because we forgot that we build this faith in the Lord that we fear in such a way that we don't permit the seemingly impossible, the next seemingly impossible thing to erode our confidence that with God all things are possible. Here's another idea with it as well. We don't permit the inaction of others to deter us from taking personal steps of faith. Just because nobody else has taken a step of faith doesn't mean God isn't asking you to take a step of faith. The entire city of Jericho doesn't take the step of faith. Nobody comes to Rahab and says, hey, listen, we want to follow that God too. Can, can, can we be a part of it? Like, nobody seeks God except Rahab. Only Rahab says, uh, the earthquake's going to start. I'm going to go in the wall. I'm, I'm just trying to picture, like, what her family is thinking. You, you just need to know the sheer terror they must have experienced in that room and how Rahab must have said, no, this is where we got to stay. But, but Rahab, the wall is falling down. I know this is where we got to stay. Don't permit somebody else's inaction to deter you from taking your steps of faith. And we see it in Joshua chapter 6 that actually when the whole wall has collapsed, except that little section where Rahab lives, 
that Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her. So the young men who had been spies went and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho by faith. We build with faith in the Lord, just like Rahab did. Here's the last one. We believe in a future from the Lord. We believe in a future from the Lord. And this, I think, is where there is probably the greatest application for all of us regarding the life of Rahab. It's great that we would say, okay, I need to fear the Lord like Rahab did. I need to build in my faith in the Lord like Rahab did. But it's this last one, this future from the Lord. And here's two things you need to believe. We believe that while our past may have consequences, it does not have control. In fact, I was praying through this particular message. This may be, for most of us here, the most important thing I can give you all day long. We believe that while our past may have consequences, it does not have control. Our past affects us in one of two ways. It either brings pain or it brings regret. It brings pain when in our past someone has done something to us. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're a victim of abuse. Maybe something happened in your life that, that just, even when you think about it, even now brings out the, the, you just start to sweat again. Whatever it might be, when something is done to us, we have pain. But when we do something to someone else that we wish we could get back, we have regret. Whether it's pain, whether it's regret, there are consequences to those things in the past. Pain or regret. But what I want you to know is that those issues do not have control, okay? And and this is a message at this point that I have to preach to myself regularly too. There's things I wish I would have done better in the past. There's other things I wish I would have followed through on in the past. And here's the point. Those things start to consume me and they feel like they control me. But I wanna teach you from Rahab's life that is not the case. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, this is what we read. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, the prostitute, eight times Rahab's name is used in the Bible. Five of those times it is introduced this way, Rahab, the prostitute. She was always known as a woman who was a prostitute because her past had consequences, but her past didn't control her. She didn't say, well, that's what I was, and that's what I'll always be, and because I did that, God could never use me. Quite to the contrary. God used her. And here's the second idea. We believe that present decisions made by faith impact others more than we know. We believe that present decisions made by faith impact others more than we know. And I just want you to see two things that are here. See how the first line says, this is all about our future from the Lord that God has for you and for me? Not, not just heaven, but time here, yet in your future, okay? What I want you to see is we believe that our past, that's our past. It doesn't have control over you, right? Certainly there's consequences. Certainly there's impact on others' lives. All of that's there, but it doesn't control your decisions. And we believe that your present decisions, see how we went from past to present, made by faith, impact others more than we know. Rahab made a determination that said, listen, I'm going to go with the Israelites. I'm not going to stay here and fight with with the Canaanites. I'm going to go with the Israelites. And she chose to say, listen, I'll protect you guys. Will you protect me? Yes, we'll protect you. And one of the things that happens is you find her name not only here in Hebrews, but you also find it someplace else, of all things, in the book of Matthew. 
And there we find her name here. Notice why it's in the book of Matthew. Matthew starts out this way, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When you get to verse 5, this is what you read. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by, say it with me, Wow. Did Rahab have any idea that when she stepped into her home, dropped the scarlet cord, and shut the door, that she was going to enter into the line of kings and into the line of the king of kings? But not only that, I believe there's something else in the story. And I love the way that one writer actually captured it. And I just want to read it to you. Because here in the text, it's not just about her being in the line of Christ. It's about her being the father of, the, 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 the mother of Boaz. And Boaz, you may remember, is the man who married Ruth. And Ruth, you may remember, was a Moabitess. And she wasn't in the Jewish line and so, as tightly as Abraham was. And so, so all of a sudden, Ruth, the Moabitess, comes back because she gives up everything and comes back. And, and Boaz is the one who will marry this widow. So just for a moment, think about it this way. Regardless of her maternal influence in Boaz's family, Rahab, you may remember, was another non-Jewish woman, a Canaanite and a former prostitute. She and her family were the only survivors of Israel's conquest of Jericho because she hid the Jewish spies and helped them escape. So imagine the stories Boaz heard as he grew up. Remember, past has consequence, but that past that has consequence um, doesn't control you. Imagine the stories Boaz heard, and imagine how having a mother who had been a foreigner and a harlot, yet was grafted into the nation of Israel by the grace of God, affected the way that Boaz viewed Ruth that day he saw her gleaning in his field. Other men might have simply seen a foreign woman scrounging for food like a parasite, but Boaz saw something familiar and dear in a woman who had left her family, her nation, and her gods to embrace Naomi, her nation, and her God. It seems Boaz was uniquely prepared by God for Ruth and Ruth for Boaz. Isn't that beautiful? A marriage made in heaven out of all of that pain, out of all of that pain, out of all of that regret. And that's why we would say it this way, purely and simply, we believe that present decisions made by faith impact others more than we could possibly know. Here's my question for you this morning to wrap it up. What are you struggling with? Are you fearing others more than you fear the Lord? You want to fix that. Are you actually building every day by faith in the Lord, stepping out a little further than you otherwise would feel comfortable in your own way of thinking? And do you believe that there is a future from the Lord that is so mind-blowing and mind-boggling that you may see it in your generation or you may not. But if you take steps of faith, there is no telling what happens in the generations to follow just like it happened to Rahab. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning to be reminded of these truths. And we're humbled by them. We rejoice in them. We uh, are frightened by them. We, just because we talk about fear and faith, it all makes sense here, but it's a lot harder to apply when we get out of here. And, and uh, so I pray, Lord, that you would enable us there to keep our focus on you, to not be afraid of what the future holds, to keep our faith and confidence in you, and to trust you, and not in our own abilities, not in our own knowledge, not in our own ability to manipulate things, but to 
fully depend upon the Lord, just as Rahab did. In your son's precious name we pray. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.